Now, if you have your Bible with you today, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew, the sixth chapter. And I want to continue a series I've been in for a number of weeks. This would be uh, the fifth part in the series called Focus. I thought it would be appropriate to update it and say this is phase five of Focus. Right? Want to be cool? <laughs> Stay with the verbiage of our day. Are you ready for phase five? Not very excited about that. Come on. Come on, make some noise so, so, the, people, so the people watching at home can hear that you're actually here. <laughs> amen, amen. Uh, I always love baseball. Any, anybody here love baseball or softball? Playing it or watching it? Or, I, I played baseball like many young boys did from the time I could, as soon as they let me join the team. And, uh, and, and always loved that sport. I remember, though, um, that one of the, when I was like 11 or 12 playing in Little League, my mom hired a photographer to get pictures of me playing, so in a real game. And I thought I was a decent player and, and, and so forth. But when I saw one of the pictures, um, it was of me batting, and it saw me in the middle of the swing, you know, what would be best is if you looked like this. I don't know if you can all see me. But the way I looked in that picture was like this. <laughs> I thought, ah, I did not know I did that. And, and how many know one of the cardinal rules of baseball, of batting, is keep your eye on the ball. If you do not see the ball, you will not hit the ball. You can have the best bat on the team and the best stance and have a lot of good things going for you, but if you do not see it, you're not going to hit it. It's not only true in baseball, it's true in life, and it's true in our relationship with God. If you and I will learn to keep our eye on the ball, so to speak, keep our eyes on the Lord we will make contact. We will be successful. But when we get distracted by the guy in the stands or, you know, when I played baseball, you could yell at each other and make fun. Is that even legal today? It's probably called a hate crime. <laughs> you know, we'd say, pitcher has a rubber arm. <laughs> or, or, pitcher's off his rocker, just like Betty Crocker. <laughs> And we'd yell at the other team while we're playing. That wasn't considered unsportsmanlike back then. Anyway, they're tr we're trying to distract and so forth. In life, there are a lot of distractions as well. And a lot of things trying to pull our attention away from the Lord. If that is successful, we miss the ball. We miss his plan. We don't experience his best like we're supposed to. You ready to read? Matthew 6. This is our text for the, for the series. I'm reading from the King James Version, Version, verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body will be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So our goal here is to be singular, 
to be focused, to not be divided in our pursuits and in our heart. We have to be settled and focused on the Lord. One of the things I began to share with you last week was about the simplicity of the gospel. That God is, and God knows everything, so he's very complex as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's, there's a lot of complexity there, and there are deeper things in God. You can understand the scriptures, but when it comes to receiving from him, when it comes to worshiping him, those things are childlike functions. They're not advanced functions, and if we try to make them advanced, we sometimes miss the connection. We've got to keep what's simple, simple, all right? And God has not made himself difficult to connect to. So uh, a person could have advanced degrees in theology and miss the simplicity of the gospel. If we truly are advanced in our knowledge, we will see that we've got to keep this simple at the same time as we, you know, understand more and more. Amen. Would you rather, you know that would you rather game? Would you rather uh, be able to answer all questions, all God questions, spiritual questions, eternity questions? Would you, would you rather be able to explain every verse in this book or have a close relationship with God and get your prayers answered? Amen. Say, does it have to be either or? It doesn't. It doesn't, but many times it is. Many times people sacrifice the, simpli the simplistic connection with God because of, and they trade it for advanced arguments. And they're able to explain, at least they think they are, I'd rather have a, have a fruitful prayer life. You know, would you rather win every argument or win someone to Christ? Has anybody ever, like me, won an argument and yet the person did not receive the Lord? You convinced them with expertise, precision, and accuracy, crushed all their beliefs, <laughs> and presented the Lord, and they didn't want him. Ah, that's a failure. I didn't succeed because I won the argument. I failed because they didn't get saved. And I think we should value some of these things over others. We don't have to choose between knowledge and simplicity, but we do need to know the difference. Whenever a person receives a revelation from God, a direction for their life, they should not be surprised if immediately following that experience, they get distracted or have the opportunity to get distracted. If all of a sudden there are lots of opportunities afforded to them, exciting ones, loud ones with bells and whistles, Lots of people smiling and saying, come on this way, let's do this. Whenever we are about to get our life really on track and re really dialed in to see the Lord, there is going to be opposition to try to get us to give that up. When a person discovers purpose for their life, they are dangerous to the devil. And if you and I can become single-minded in our serving of the Lord and keep him in our focus, I tell you, there's nothing that can stop us. So what happens is opportunities, opportunities to do something else, opportunities to get off track. And if a person feels like they're about to miss an opportunity, I can't pass this up. And they set aside their relationship with God. It takes a back seat. Then the enemy really has won. 
When you and I can start seeing God, I tell you, the world has no hold on us. When you can look at him long enough where he comes into focus, oh, your days of defeat are over. Your days of being beat up by this world and life and the devil and being sad and depressed and, and losing are over. I tell you, it is worth every effort we can give to getting the Lord in focus where we see him and the world blurs out. Praise God. Uh, I want to ask a simple question about your focus today, and that is, um, where are you looking? Okay, the scriptures tell us where to look and give us some examples at what can really harm us. But where are you looking? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us one thing we should do. It it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is something that can exist all through our lives, and it ought to. We should look unto him. If I can keep thinking about the Lord, it's going to clear a whole bunch up for me in life. Look at him, how he did it, what his example is, what his word is to me. If I can look at the Lord, then I'm going to you know, not be looking at a bunch of other bad stuff. When a person uh, receives direction from the Lord, when God gives you direction as to where you should go, something you should do in your life, here's the exhortation. Don't look back. Once you see it, keep going that way. Keep your eyes on it. Keep pursuing, keep walking that direction, and don't look back. But there is a very real temptation. When someone gets direction, they get on track, they know what to do, to start looking back and wondering what they're missing, to start admiring their past, forgetting all the hard parts about it, and only remembering the good things. Amen. And it's a temptation. Your neck is being pulled. (laughs) Don't do it. Keep it straight. Straight ahead and focus on what is before you. Do you remember the story in the book of Genesis about the destruction of Sodom? Okay. Remember Abraham's prayer about if there be 10 righteous and he started higher and worked down to 10. Righteous, Lord, would you not save this city? It was very evil, very wicked, a lot of sin there. And it was coming under, uh, under judgment. Thank God we're living in a different day after the cross, but it was coming under judgment. And in that whole story, you can read the account, but the Lord sent angels in there. These angels look like dudes, right? Angels in there to get Lot and his family out, okay? And they gave, the angel gave them very specific instructions when they were leaving. Okay, I'll read it to you. Verse 17 of Genesis 19. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Okay, this is not only just like a good piece of wisdom. This is direct revelation from God through an angel. That would kind of get my attention. You know, when the Lord sends an angel and says, do not look back. 
Why, why say that? They know the temptation. They knew it would be there. There would be that pull. There would be that pull to look back. He said, just giddy up on out of here. Do not stop. Get out of this place. Of course, judgment was about to, about to fall and God always rescues the righteous. Thank you, Lord. Which is why you know he didn't send the plague. Because there are Christians that got it. Side note. Okay, let's get back to this. Okay. Uh, and he, but he, he told them not to look back. But in uh, verse 26, we read 17, 26, it reads, but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So a direct word from God, don't look back. And what did she do? She looked back. And it was very costly in this situation. And so I start to think, why? Why did she do that? Why did she look back? Why didn't she just look forward? I wonder if it was family, because not all the family made it out. They weren't all righteous. Maybe she's thinking about family members. Maybe she was, had become very attached to the world. But one thing I can see is that her heart was still in Sodom. And because her heart was there, she couldn't keep her head facing forward. She had to look back. This is vital for us. If we are going to stay focused, we have got to detach from our past. We have got to detach from the world, the things that seem so important that want to pull our focus away from God are so very dangerous. Proverbs 14, verse 14 reads, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways but a good man will be satisfied from above. God is our satisfaction. Amen. When your heart is in the past, it will cost your future as it did with Lot's wife. Amen. And so the condition or the contents of one's heart will determine the pull of their focus. That's why we've got to keep it clear. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 16? Romans chapter 16. Is anybody focused today? Yes. Say I was until that sound. <laughs> That's real life though. You have to deal with distractions. Stay, stay in the middle of it. All right? Stay focused. Uh, Romans 16 and verse 19. It reads, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Wise versus simple. Wise for the good. Notice, simple Concerning the evil. That might be a little bit confusing or not real, cl real clear. Listen to this from the Amplified Bible, the latter part of the verse. I would have you be, I would have you well versed and wise as to what is good and innocent and guileless as to what is evil. Okay, now one of the challenges that we face living in the world in our time is, is that there is so much 
evil around that we have the opportunity to know about it. In the information age and so forth, we have the opportunity to know a whole lot about what's wrong and not very much about what is right or good. And this is a, this is a choice that must be made. I'm, again, with the, with the news and the internet and everything else, you can find out about bad things happening all over the planet. In fact, you don't have enough hours in the day to read and watch uh, every story about every tragedy, every crime, every death, every difficult thing, all right? It's just abundant. What we must have the power to do is look away. Look away from the bad and focus on what is good. Someone said, well, I like to be informed. That's the problem. <laughs> I understand that. I want to know a little bit about what's going on in our country and, and, and so forth. But watch it. Watch it. It's a slippery slope until you are consuming negativity and evil and not heeding a word like this that says to be well-versed in the good and don't know hardly anything. Just innocent about it. If you don't know about the bad stuff, you're not tempted with it. You're not tempted to fear, worry. You're not tempted to enter into it yourself. And so we must guide our eyes, maintain a guard over our, over our hearts as to what is let in. One of the things that's popular in our day is creating awareness of various ills and problems in the world. So there will always be a something awareness week, okay? Um, and even, this is, so, this is so real that even in the fall, they can get the football players, the NFL guys, to wear pink, right? This awareness concept is so big that people feel like by doing that, they are doing the world a service, and, and so everyone wants to make others aware. So uh, you're messing with my thinking a little bit. I want to. I want to. I don't, I'm not, I don't judge anyone's motive in trying to be a help. That's not my point. But being more aware of all the problems does not make life better. It doesn't. In fact, we are afforded the opportunity to think about problems day in and day out. The scriptures instruct us to know little about that and to know much about the Lord and about his promises and about his covenant and his will for our lives. Do I want to be cancer conscious or Christ conscious? I, I, did a, I taught a series uh, several years ago called Jesus Awareness. All right. Uh, if you were in that series, you might remember because you left with a, a, a wristband that said, Jesus awareness had saved, healed, and delivered. I want, uh, my, my goal was to help people be Christ conscious instead of disease and poverty and death and bad news conscious. And that, was ser that served as a reminder. Remember, you're saved. Remember, you're healed. Remember, you're delivered. Remember what the Lord has done for you. All right, And whatever we have to do to get us to that end where we can be conscious of God and keep our focus on him in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, it will serve us well. 
You know, before, before, the, before services today, uh, in, in praying with the pre-service prayer team, it, stir, it was stirred in my heart to do this. And uh, it was ju- I thought it was just an illustration that I was going to use, uh, but I want to pray this way right now, all right? I want to pray for people with cancer in here, watching online, and people you know, all right? Before I do that, I'm very serious about this. If you have, if you have it here, I'm gonna, you're going to lay hands on yourself in a second, and we're going to speak life to your body. Okay, if you have a friend or a relative that has it and they're not here, we're gonna pray for them anyway. But here's what I want you to do is if you have something to write their name on, a piece of, write their name. If you have a pen, a paper, do that. If you have your phone and you can type it, that will qualify. When we pray, I want you to put your hand on their name. All right, and that's the release of your faith. And we're gonna believe God right now, amen. And bodies are going to be set free of cancer. Praise God. I'll give you a second because I see people writing and people fumbling around, getting something to write on. Big, big God, little bitty devil. (laughs) Praise God. Are you ready to do this? If it's you right now, put your hands on yourself. If it's someone else, let's believe for them. Father, thank you right now. You are almighty God. There is nothing too difficult for you. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross and took took stripes on his back for our healing. He bore cancer in himself so we could be healed. So we right now as your people, as your family, we rise up today, take our place and use the mighty name of Jesus. And we say right now, cancer, we bind you. We rebuke you. You leave those bodies in Jesus' name. Everyone present, it dies today. Those watching online, ready, ready? It leaves you now in Jesus' name. Those that we are praying for and standing in the gap for right now, thank you. Your power goes right into their bodies. Cancer, get, get in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for every good thing that you've done. Amen, amen. Praise God. Send me testimonies of the victory. Now listen, we're talking about focus. Keeping our eyes on the Lord. Don't think that throughout your life you can think wrong, think on evil, think on wrong things all day long and then just override it with a prayer at the end of the day. Or on Sunday, we'll get it all fixed with a, with a quick prayer, and then we'll go back to meditating and focusing on wrong stuff. This doesn't work that way. This has got to be our habit, our practice, something we do every single day. When it comes to uh, attacks of sickness and disease, when people have symptoms in their body, it is very common for people to jump to this. This is in our world. I don't know if it's common with you, but we're talking for a reason. Uh, for people to immediately Um, study out all the information they can find on that disease, on that problem. And they begin to fill their heart day in, day out, and they become experts on the disease. I've got a recommendation for you, and this is based on this book. You don't do that, but if you have an attack, if you have symptoms, you have a real problem in your body, you find every verse on healing 
and faith and victory and redemption. And you study that out until you become an expert inwardly on the power of God. That is what puts us over in life. If we can focus on that instead of being experts on the other, I tell you, the Lord has said this from beginning to end in this book. Amen. Say, but what if I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse or I'm in the medical field? You should do it extra. And I admire your desire to help people. And wonderful, we have wonderful people in our church that are in that field. You should meditate on it extra. Why? Because you're, sur- you're so d- surrounded by it. And if you have a pain, you not only have the pain, you know why it hurts. <laughs> and so it, it could be more difficult for you to receive an answer from the Lord because you're so mindful of the problem. But you can counteract that. Day and night, day and night, do your job, practice from the physical standpoint. And then before and after, read the word. Meditate on God's healing power. Hallelujah. Some of you are all over this, and I, I have a feeling that some of you, I'm going, Err. you're like my dog. Err. I say, Hercules, you want? And, and he goes, meaning I don't have a clue what you're saying. I'm just waiting for the word treat. <laughs> Can I give you a treat? <laughs> Do you remember the story? Let me, let me finish with this part. Uh, uh, in Genesis... When God created the garden, put, his, put Adam and Eve there, eat, all, eat of all the trees, and then there was two special trees. One was a tree of life. One was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let me read that to you, Genesis 2.9. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, and that's the one he told them, don't eat of that one. Which one? Knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil is what, the, what God did not want them to have. Okay? And then in, in chapter 3, verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, contradicting God, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And, you know, Satan was right about that. But God didn't want them to know good and evil. He wanted to keep them oblivious, if you will, to bad things. Now, obviously, God does know about good and evil, but he's able to deal with that, right? I think that once we're in heaven, we will be able to deal with the knowledge of good and evil. Because we'll still know about it. You're not going to forget about everything in this life. We're going to know that evil existed or exists or existed, right? We'll be able to deal with that and it won't harm us. It's right here and right now that this is a problem, okay? There, it is a problem to us personally having too much knowledge of evil and at least not a good counteraction of being excellent or well-versed in what is good, okay? I realize we, we can't get rid of things we know, but we can overwhelm them. We can overwhelm them with God's goodness and love and his promises, okay? But knowing evil is something that Satan wanted them to to have. Experiencing life was something that God wanted them to have. Which tree are we eating from today? Are we eating from life 
or are we just taking it all in, good and bad, good and bad, good and bad, knowledge of evil? We should begin to control ourselves. If you look at something long enough, you're going to eat it. Yeah? I know, I know with me, if, I, if I'm really trying to cut back a little bit eating, I don't like it when there are snacks everywhere. You know, talking to me every time I walk through the kitchen. Hey. What are you doing? You're hungry, aren't you? How'd you know? And how is it that a cookie can talk? Right? You stare at something long enough, you're about to partake of it. And we shouldn't deceive ourselves. You know, it's like a, a lot of people today, a lot of guys in particular, think, think they can stare at, at, at a, a woman that's not their spouse all day long and think it's not harming anything because I'm just not, I'm not, not like I'm going to partake. You stare at it long enough, you will. Amen. And that's the kind of focus the enemy wants us to, to get into that trap where we see that clearly and the Lord is fuzzy. The Lord is blurry. We, we, we start to zoom in a little bit when we come to church and get a little more focused. And then all the week, uh, we, we focus on other things. This is harmful to our lives. Everybody okay? Yeah. Eat from the right tree. Amen. God wants to bring life to us, not the knowledge of evil. And some are uh, dealing with a fear of missing out. Well, if I focus on the Lord... If I spend my time doing the right thing, I'm going to miss out on opportunities in life. And again, those opportunities usually rear their ugly head as soon as you make a decision for the Lord. As soon as you decide to walk with him every day. Opportunities to do something else on Sunday. Opportunities to take your life in a different direction. That's how it works. Don't be afraid of doing everything too quick or missing out. I, I was thinking of, of college because... My wife did four years of college in three years. She was super quick. Right out of high school, bam, 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 graduate and get married. <laughs> A month after graduation or something. <laughs> and, and some of that was financial with her and, and not having to pay for another year. So she just put the pedal to the metal and did it. Uh, one of my roommate, one of my two roommates, when I first went to college, who goes to church here, uh, he graduated high school a year before me and took a year off between high school and college. And some people could never do that because they think, oh, I'm going to be behind. I'm going to get way behind all everyone I know. They're going to be ahead of me in school. And you know what? Looking back all these years, you know how much it mattered? About zero. That, he, that it took him five years instead of four years to actually be done with college and get into, in, into his career. Didn't, re, didn't really matter. Sometimes people get too antsy. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I don't want to miss my opportunity. I've only got a little window. Most of the time you don't. Most of the time there is space. There's opportunity. Focus on doing what's right. What the Lord would lead you to do. And if that's pause for a year, if that's take some time to do something else that doesn't immediately look like it, it advances your vision and dream for your life, so what? Listen, if I am focused on the Lord, he is not going to let me miss out on something that's really important. 
You tell me if I seek him every day, if I wake up and set my heart towards heaven to pursue his will, that he's not going to reveal to me if I have a window that I need to get through? If there is an opportunity, I tell you, when you seek the Lord, you're sharp. You're smart. You'll know the timing of things. It's when we're just pursuing, pursuing, and going a thousand different directions. The Lord is just one of those once a week. That's when we miss our opportunities. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't believe any of us will suffer as a result of putting the Lord first in our lives. Focus on him. He knows everything. And he knows right where you need to be, at the right place, at the right time, and all of his grace to make it work. Let me summarize. I I said to you earlier, where are you looking? I said, number one, look at the example of Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Not those who serve themselves. Who are your role models? To whom do you listen Keep your eyes on Jesus, his example, his life. Number two, I said, look at the place of God's direction. When he sends you out of the city, don't look back. Keep your eyes going forward. Keep your mind on what he has in front of you, not where you've been. Let the past be the past. The the old saying goes, if your your windshield is much larger than your rearview mirror, keep focused on what's ahead. What's behind doesn't matter. And then number three, look at what the Lord said yes to. All the abundance of trees is where he said yes. Keep your eyes on what he said yes about, not on the thing he said yes. No to. Don't focus on something you know is off limits for you. Out of God's will or Frank flat out just wrong for people. Stop looking at that and you'll be in the right place at the right time surrounded by the abundance of God's blessings and provision and satisfied deep within. Amen. Focus on the Lord with me for a moment. Father, we thank you today for your faithfulness to us.